The Zone Coverage Podcast Network. This podcast is presented in front of a live Astadio audience. Hey guys, Brandon Warren here from Zone Coverage and the Midwest Wing Podcast here to talk to you about Circle Rock Clothing Company here in Minneapolis. Circle Rock began in 2018 because they saw a gap in the casual clothing market. They felt that business casual needed to up its game, and they were also not down with the fact that 97% of the production in the clothing industry in this country was moved offshore. At Circle Rock, you can find a little bit of everything. Suits, vests, sweaters, blazers, belts, jackets, pants, anything you need to look your best regardless of the situation. And at Circle Rock, not only is their style uniquely upgraded American, their suppliers are too. We at Zone Coverage have partnered up with Circle Rock, and the promo code is ZONE25. With that promo code, you can receive a $25 gift card good for your next purchase. It's not just suits, it's all kinds of menswear. They also just opened up the House of Style in Southwest Minneapolis on West 44th Street, so you can check them out in person as well. Otherwise, go to CircleRock.com. And again, don't forget to use the coupon code ZONE25. That's CircleRock and CircleRock.com. Up your game. All right, it's Midwest Swing, part of the Zone Coverage Podcast Network. You can find Midwest Swing on Twitter at Midwest Swing Pod and Zone Coverage at Zone Coverage MN. I'm your host, Brandon Warren. You can find me on Twitter at Brandon underscore Warren. No Tom Schreier today, but we do have Justin Bailey producing at I am Justin Bailey. Bales, big day for you today. Jed Jerko signing with the <laughs> Milwaukee yeah. Brewers. Probably big pushing, day. pushing Orlando Arcia further down the depth <laughs> chart. Speaking of Arcia family, though, we do have on the line Mike Berardino at Mike Berardino on Twitter. And you covered his older brother Oswaldo for a fair spell. Wouldn't you, uh, wouldn't you like to remember those days fondly, Mike? <laughs> Oh my goodness! Hello, Brandon. Uh, <laughs> Good yeah, to hear from you. Uh, I thought you were gonna. I thought you were gonna try to pass me off as like a cousin, but uh, well, I, uh, I I'm not related to the uh, Arcia family, but I did I did uh, commit uh, massive hype violations. I'm among those who <laughs> hyped that man who was as ranked as high as number four as a Twins prospect. I think maybe number three when I took over the beat in 2013. And uh, I liked him. He was he was a he was a fun character, but he always seemed to have some injury. And then he, uh, the, the the lasting thing for me on that is uh, the defensive positioning when he was being waved farther and farther back by Butch Davis, uh, and he just he lined up on the warning track, <laughs> as you recall, and uh, at home. And uh, and then he was he thought that was funny. He was doing that on purpose. And uh, he's overseas now, right? Yeah, I think he I think he might have played in Mexico last year, if I'm not mistaken, but. Spend yeah, some time in that's Reno. That's how you go international. You you uh, you uh, you line up on the warning track. Yeah, maybe maybe there's a little Eric Thames in his game, and he can come back and do his thing. Eric Thames again, a nod to Bailey. Bailey, our producer Justin Bailey, who you have not had the pleasure of meeting, I'm sure, no. is, a, is a Milwaukee Brewers fan, and so we had like half an episode talking about the Brewers the other day, which people probably kind of tuned out for, but. The uh, Eric Thames situation we've talked about. We've talked about all kinds of fun stuff with the Brewers. So people can go back and listen to that for sure. But today, most important thing on our docket, the same thing we talk about with you this time of year, and it's uh, you know it's not Mr. Tibbs on Twitter who is the most excited about this, but it's Hall of Fame season. And you know once you get to the first of the year, when did you have to have yours in by? Was it the first of the year? I, I can never remember. 
has to be postmarked by December 31st. And so that, I mean, let me tell you, uh, and I've done that once again, I took it right to the wire because as we've mm-hmm. talked on your podcast, um, I like to follow along with Ryan Thibodeau and the, and the whole, uh, Hall of Fame tracker. And I just like to make sure I have a, some sense, why not wait? I really don't see any reason to be like first in on that. I think that would be in my case, foolish with this additional layer of, of insurance really to make sure you're not missing something to make sure someone isn't just getting because of the 5% rule, such poor support that they need your support. You know, I've Mm -hmm. done the strategic ballot in the past. This was not one of those years, but I did uh, pay attention and, uh, and I'm glad he's listening again. Yeah. And I think it'll be John Becker listening this time. Hi, John. Uh, he's been on the program a couple of times talking about free agents yeah, and all kinds of fun stuff. Job. Yeah, he does a fine job. And in fact, their tracker team is at not Mr. Tibbs at shut the door, D O R E at Tony Cal 93 and at J M DeVivo. We want to give those guys some love for all the hard work they do. In addition to John Becker. Now the ballot is deep. Was, let's see, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11. It's about 35 players deep. You can vote for a maximum of 10. And actually, not Mr. Tibbs did me the favor of tweeting for me my hypothetical ballot. So I was ballot number 000. I think they're up to about 150 right now. Or you might be a number 150. But it's, uh, I don't know, it's a fun time of year. I don't remember how many ballots they got last year. I feel like it was significantly more than 150, though, if I'm if I'm not mistaken. Well, if I'm looking at this correctly, uh, uh, the plus five anonymous ballots, um, I don't know. I, I'm not sure about that piece of it. I just sure. look at the percentages, Brandon. Yeah. I, I understand. The percentages. Well, I like when they do uh, the uh, projections too. Like if Larry Walker's at yeah. 84.4% and he needs to flip well, this many true. voters. Yeah, the flipping aspect is important. It's not just, as, as Ryan has mentioned, it's not just the percentage i do look at the votes gained to get a general sense of who's moving who's trending uh in a, in a positive or negative manner now you told me off the air that all of your holdovers remained and then you added some players year to year when you think about adding or subtracting players it what goes into that i guess i, I never really know for sure because it's not like for instance let's say just hypothetically jose valverde is on the the ballot this year why would someone vote for him one year and not the next? Is it something that, you know, ballot crunches? Is it something that comes to light about their personal career, personal life? I, I just, I get a little confused about why why players jump or bounce off ballots from year to year. And obviously you can only speak to your own voting, but what what do you think goes into that? Yeah. Well, I don't, I can't speak for the other voters. I don't like to do it. I haven't done it um very often at all. In fact, this might be just the second time I've ever um, reversed my thinking um, on someone, and it wasn't because of space yep. on the ballot. Um, I'm trying to think back. It yeah, you didn't use all 10. We'll say that. One time. Huh? We'll say that you didn't use yeah. all 10. We're not going to tip anything yet, but. No, no, no. We wouldn't want, we've got to, we want full listenership throughout. Yes. We got to balance podcast. it. So, I don't like, no, I, I'm right with you on the confusion. Like uh, it, my general thought is their, their career has been over for five years, at least when they appear and then you make a decision on them mm-hmm. and either they were or they weren't. But it is possible with the with the likes of Jay Jaffe out there examining players and bringing out uh, 
different layers of, of assessment over time, although his initial rundown is so thorough of every player of any significance that you should be pretty good there if you've read that. Um, and then there's the, uh, I, I, I suppose it is, uh, it should be rare that you change um, where you, you know, either direction on somebody, either they were or they weren't. But when we talk about the one person that I changed mm-hmm. my vote on this one, um, I think it'll be uh, clear why. So l- before we dive into your ballot, I just got one more question. Would you consider yourself a small hall person, a large hall person, a hybrid of the two? Do you feel like you can be adequately summed up in one or the other of those buckets, or do you feel like you're kind of a unique, maybe a unicorn, so to speak? I was just going to say that. <laughs> I'd like to think I'd like to think of myself as a as a unicorn across the board. I, but no, I, sure. I think uh, I'm I've uh, I'm not averse to leaving. I don't feel the need to fill up all ten right. if, if right. there's not a a case. I do have a bar in mind. I have a. A range. It's not a hard and fast uh, number, but um, or set of standards. But you, I do take it seriously, as we all do. I believe we all do. I know this is a time of year again. My public service announcement that there's a lot of fan frustration, even if you don't have a, a horse in the in the race. There's a lot of fan frustration on on those who are not voting because it's such a small group. And again, if we were to start this process fresh, to wipe the slate clean and say, how should we? arrive at a baseball hall of fame class. I doubt we do it this way, but this is what we have. And, uh, it has had amazing staying power, uh, despite the recent tweaks. Um, and then when you see the way some of the veterans committees have operated over time, um, I, I still think this is, uh, an acceptable way, if not the very best. So I'm just going to take off some of the guys that, well, maybe literally take them off, but the guys who you can kind of dismiss right out of the chute and you can just kind of go with me as you will. Uh, Josh Beckett, obviously quick start to his career, but just didn't sustain Heath Bell, you know, one of the better relievers in baseball for a few years there. Um, Eric Chavez was on the path as well. Still think he might be a manager. Let me someday. let me just in, I'll inter- I'll interrupt you at, at people that Perfect. I may have covered, and I'll try to keep it brief. Perfect. But Josh Beckett could have been a Hall of Famer. Yep. I was there for the whole Josh Beckett run up covering the Marlins, and at the press uh, talking to him after he, before he was even drafted, and after right on past the time he won a championship with the Red Sox, and um, if not for shoulder issues, that was a Hall of Fame arm. Yep, and. Um, Heath Bell, um, that was uh, larceny, three-year, $27 million deal. Uh, I remember asking Heath Bell in the clubhouse after he signed that deal as Mike Dunn, uh, at then, uh, then a uh, rising uh, unknown reliever. Um, I asked him uh, if he identified at all with Kenny Powers because he kind of wore his hair that way and had a uh, kind of a smart aleck manner, and he did, and then he quoted Kenny Powers, and I think we can – say this on your show. It's one of the most memorable quotes I think I've ever heard in a clubhouse and I've heard thousands. He turned to Mike down there just sitting in the corner at spring training and, and then I'm standing there and I asked that question and the way he answered it was <laughs> he felt turned. And by then he fell had already ended whatever conditioning program he'd been on in San Diego. And he turned <laughs> to uh, Mike Dunn and he goes, I just got paid, bitch. <laughs> that, was, uh, that, was, that was interesting. Yeah. It, I'm a bit offended that he's on this ballot. I don't even know why how that happened. Yeah, especially when Javier Vasquez a few years ago, you know, not 
not a Hall of Famer by any stretch of the mind, but one of the better pitchers for a better part oh, of a decade, you know, gets Oh, and snubbed. a fine person, too. Yeah, yeah. yeah fine. one of the better people that has come along that I've ever been around. At. Yeah, but the heat, yeah, went, throw him a bone. Yeah. I don't think we needed heat bell on here, but whatever. Chavez, a little too much Grady Sizemore in his career. Um, <clears throat> Adam Dunn, you know, did a lot of things with the bat, not so much with the glove. Figgins for call. Let's see. Abanez, none of those guys really get me going. Paul Canerco, I saw, got a vote. I've... I'm well beyond the stage. Adam right. Dunn. Adam Dunn. Adam Dunn had whole had Hall of Fame power and three yep. true outcome. Yep. Uh, he just had zero defensive value, and and I guess just didn't didn't uh, sustain long enough. But there were times when you're covering Adam Dunn, especially early, mm-hmm. uh, that you felt he he really could just be a Jim Tomey type. Yeah, that's good uh, career that would have ended up in the Hall of Fame. It just he just didn't hold up. Canerco to me, you know, I know he got a vote. I'm well beyond the place where I care one way or the other and am going to tweet about it. But that was an interesting vote to me. Uh, Cliff Lee, you know, if, if Johan Santana is not going to get much love, neither is Cliff Lee. Carlos Pena, probably better known for hitting about 50 bombs for the Rays one year and being a part of Moneyball. Brad Penny, I, I assume you covered Brad Penny for a while too. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Yeah, we had our we had our uh, times. Uh, uh, Brad Penny... Uh, um, <clears throat> my fa- I did cover him with the Marlins right from the time that they acquired him mm-hmm. uh, from the Diamondbacks in a Matt Manti trade, and uh, yeah, we we were we were uh, on great terms for a while. I remember him talking to him about dating Warren Spawn's granddaughter, Kara. Wow. Uh, this is one of those things when you cover baseball for a long time, as you've learned. These these ridiculous, pointless things <laughs> stick in your mind, and you cannot get them out. Yeah, I will never forget that stupid factoid. <laughs> about Brad Penny, but you know, good luck uh, getting your you know investments in order. So, um, <laughs> Brad Penny, Brad Penny wouldn't speak to me for a while. He's very tight with Danny Maselli, and they blew up the 2001 clubhouse and mm-hmm. uh, ended the basically ended the managerial run of John Bowles, who was a is a wonderful person. And so Brad Penny then kind of had a resurgence, and he pitched in the postseason, and and uh, famously uh, did some good work. Uh, for the 2003 champion uh, Marlins, and then later on we were we were good. When he became a Dodger, I, I remember uh, talking. To, he stopped at Dodger Town with, and put his glove on his head, as they do when they're running from field to field back at Dodger at any place. But Dodger Town was great, and he shook my hand and smiled his Brad Penny smile. And it's nice to know that we're okay. Brad Penny was a uh, uh, very talented guy and very durable guy, uh, John Lackey like I'd say, yeah. but uh, certainly not. Hall of Fame quality, but it does not offend me that his name appears among these uh, no-shot people. Well, the next one might. J.J. Putz, again, one of the better relievers in baseball for about a two-year stretch there, but um, not a passing thought about him. Brian Roberts obviously could have been better, a lot of injuries with the Orioles. Alfonso Soriano, I think you kind of can trick yourself into thinking his career was good enough, and you go look, and yeah, the defense wasn't there, and you know that sort of thing. Jose Valverde, obviously not going to get much love either. Um, <laughs> kind of reminds me of like an, a, a bizarro offshoot of like Fernando Rodney and Armando Benitez. Like if you could have a three-way yeah. Venn diagram of those three guys, you'd have a lot of similarities as far as mannerisms and, and just kind of how they behaved on the mound. But those were my obvious omissions. I suspect you don't have too much digression. No, Soriano had Hall of Fame potential. Yeah. I think there were moments uh, early in his career and the way the 
the Yankees uh, brought him along and he was in a ton of trade talks uh, for, I remember they dangled him, dangled him for a couple of different trade cycles. And, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, the game viewed him as of having those you know, five tool potential, et cetera. And, and, uh, and he certainly, but I think instead we'll just remember him for swinging the heaviest bat of his generation. I think the twins had interest in him and the Rangers had asked for like Francisco Liriano or, Scott Baker and the Twins just weren't willing to do that, and that was back when the Twins operated on a real shoestring budget. But let's uh, let's dive right into your ballot. Do you want me to just say the guys you checked off, and we'll discuss it? Is that okay? Yes. So you've got Bobby Abreu. Why don't checked. you start with the? Oh, go ahead. I, I'll see. Okay, go ahead. It's, well, it's your show, Brandon. Well, I'll just. Uh, how do you, how do you want to start? Because I mean, Abreu off the off the jump, I like that pick. He's not on my hypothetical ballot just because I ran out of space. But I think Bobby Abreu, maybe the most underrated player of that era, and I think obviously maybe you rated him properly all along, but I think he was definitely underrated. Yeah, I I, um, I try not to put too much emphasis on personal experience or who I got to see more than others, but because he was in the NLE so long and at the time that with the Phillies, at the time that I was covering the Marlins and they They'd see each other for six series a year. I got a chance to see a lot of Abreu in person. I remember even being at Baseball America when he was an Astro prospect. And and one of the things I wonder, I don't know that, yes, underappreciated is a perfect word. I don't know that he gets any uh, extra juice for the fact that he was one of the first, uh, and he kind of was at the vanguard of a modern Venezuelan wave of talent. Mm -hmm. I know that for the Astros uh, and Andres Reiner uh, scouted so well down there. So he, he got, more scouts interested, more teams interested in finding another Abreu type. Not that he was the only one to come along, but he certainly set off this uh, gusher. And then he was incredibly consistent. He was an extra base machine, patient at the plate, did have defensive value. The the metrics aren't um, screaming defensive value. The eye test did. He had a huge arm, big arm, uh, not quite Vladimir Guerrero arm, but very strong. Right. And, um, I just, you know, I go back to OPS uh, plus was one of the ways that I felt good about this, uh, um, that he did have a 13 year span or 10 year span there, 10 different seasons of, of 120 plus, uh, 120 OPS plus. And, and then, um, from 98 to 10, 13 years, he averaged 132 OPS plus. So wow. when, you know, these, these facts, these, these, uh, linear weighted, that's any of them that we can come up with. And there's a few that you certainly uh, are going to view more uh, uh, legitimately than others. That's a good one for a hitter. And, um, and I think, I think he just was criminally overlooked. Uh, don't, you know, one of the things he just didn't uh, fill up a notebook uh, very much. I think he was considered a good guy, but he, he wasn't the subject of, of, he wasn't a go-to guy in those clubhouses. So we, people didn't really, really get to know him. Even with the Yankees, I don't think so. Um, uh, I, uh, I I spent a good amount of time making sure that this was the right thing. He's not getting a ton of another reason that that tipped me, and this is where uh, another hat tip to uh, to Ryan Thibodeau that the um, the populace to the point on December 31st and even leading up to that was not uh, very strongly behind Abreu and I believe it's still in a 7% range. So yeah. I certainly wouldn't want to see him be a one and done. That's ridiculous. But even right. if this were, you know, a different, even if I never had that resource, I, I feel that he, uh, he belongs. So I have bonds and Clemens. You've had your, your, uh, 
thoughts out there on this program before. If people want to go back and listen to those, we're not going to spend any time on that. But so I have Bonds and Clemens. You do not. But you do have Todd Helton. I will, let me just say to you, sure. let me just say to you that I do every year re-examine my conscience on that. Yeah. And and my and my responsibility to this process. And I I don't um, I have not changed my mind on that. This is year eight for them. It would not stun me if many of my fellow writers, uh, many uh, enough. I mean, look what they're how they're trending this year. Mm-hmm. People are changing their minds. They are becoming more forgiving on that. They are. They are. Um, it is possible that these guys will get in. Generally, the, your percentage on uh, on the Hall of Fame tracker is higher uh, by a pretty good margin than your uh, final vote total. So I don't think they get in this year, based on these this sample size of about thirty six percent of the ballots. But uh, they'll have two more chances, and I will not rule out. It's a fresh. It's a fresh examination process each year. Um, not of the numbers, those are without question, but of the context and the, um, just what the penalty, uh, in terms of legacy should be as much as we're allowed to dole it out. And that character clause remains for me. But, um, I will say this, if somehow in the final three years, this one and two to follow bonds gets in, but Clemens doesn't or vice versa, that's wrong. They're a, they're a, they're a, an entry and I think people treat them as such. I don't understand. One thing I wouldn't understand is voting for one but not the other. Yeah, that to me has been unusual. So to, to wrap up the first bunch here, the first column, you have Todd Helton. I have no problem with that. Would have been on my unlimited ballot. And I would have considered <clears throat> Jason Giambi's just out for me, but, um, you know, on an unlimited ballot, again, Giambi's got the, you know, the questions of what he did and what he didn't do. But Helton, obviously there's the Coors factor for a lot of people, but I think, too, in more contemporary analysis, we've learned that, sure, there were the home road splits, but also they were up against different factors for home road than other players. As we've seen with DJ LeMahieu, especially now last year at the Yankees, sure didn't make him much a worse ball player when he went to the Yankee Stadium and then obviously was an MVP caliber player for all of last season. But for Helton, um, was there any mitigation of that or were you just, you know what? I know what I saw and I saw a hall of famer. Well, that was the one I switched my, my, uh, thinking the first year, this is year two for him. Year one, I left him off and I believe I believe I went to nine last year. So it was a tough one, but I thought that he just wore down over the second half of his career as they all tend to do with their, if they're doing it uh, straight. And, um, I think the Abreu entrance on the ballot helped Helton in the way I viewed him because I I had a harder time separating those two um, in terms of longevity um, to the extent that they had, uh, you know, OPS plus just top level offensive production. And Helton did have the one gold glove season. That's not why I'm voting for him. But, you know, Helton uh, stayed one team the whole time. That usually uh, doesn't happen unless you've made an impact on that team that you broke in with, and and to stay one one team, I I don't know that we talk about that enough. That's hard to do. We did with Mauer certainly. Um, uh, at 144 OPS plus average. Obviously, the course field effect from 98 to 07. That's about the time 
believe 07 was when they put in the humidor. And um, so then things cooled off from there a, a, a bit, but it wasn't a, an absolute drastic plummet. When he was on the field, he was still fairly productive, but right. um, three gold, three gold gloves for Helton and, and a batting title, four silver sluggers, five all-stars. He's got significant uh, black ink there. And um, um, I looked at the support he was getting as well. And where is that now? That's uh, that's better, way better than Abreu, Helton's in the five percent lead. So, I uh, I think I was try if I had to some uh, break it down, I'd say uh, last year I might have tried too hard to talk myself out of Helton. Mm-hmm. I was being a little, perhaps too nitpicky. Uh, I also looked at a chart uh, that showed historically uh, the biggest home road splits and Larry Walker who I, again, will vote, have voted for, and this is his last shot with the, with the writer about, um, actually had more of a home road split in his career, obviously not always a Rocky, but, um, I, uh, I, that, that caught my attention as well. So Todd Helton got a check. So you have two in the second column, one that's a slam dunk and one that might surprise people, but Derek Jeter, obviously a hall of famer. I think there's no question about that and maybe we don't even need to belabor the point but andrew jones and i like that i think what 400 home runs gold glove caliber defense pretty much his entire career until the very end definitely in the conversation for best defensive center fielder of the era if not all time and so how much did you have to think about andrew jones in this case well, he's a holdover. You know, there's five holdovers here, and I didn't eliminate any of them, sure. and I wasn't even tempted to eliminate. I don't think I would be tempted to eliminate a holdover unless there was ballot spot crunch. Mm-hmm. And uh, if we had ballot spot crunch, I could have been talked out of Andrew and maybe one other, but not. It would have taken a lot of a lot of uh, talking. Um, it would have taken two really clearly stronger candidates, but. Uh, I also like the contextual aspect. Again, I got to see Andrew Jones from an early stage. I do think that uh, he made himself into an extremely productive offensive player, albeit for a short span. Defensively, the metrics love him, and the the scouts will tell stories about him forever, and I saw it. And the the pitchers that he played behind, the big three that are in the Hall of Fame and Maddox, Glavin, Smoltz, not saying every ball ended up in Andrew Jones glove, but pretty close. Um, if it was in that, if it was in that general vicinity, he was running it down. That's, that's what my eye test tells me again, an NL East guy, but also I, I was in a, in Augusta. So I got to be there when he broke in and, and at the world series, when he did what no one had done before at his age and in 96. So, um, I uh, I have voted for him now each time, um, and so uh, I will continue to do that unless. Uh, and I see that um, he's sitting there at twenty six uh, percent or so in the uh, ballots collected so far, and um, I don't know that he uh, gets the full uh, gets all the way to the wire before he comes off the ballot. But I think it's uh, it's it's been good to see that uh, he's not struggling to stay on it. With the ground he covered, I think he could have run for Fulton County Commissioner, so I think he deserves a, a look here. I got Andy Pettit on my ballot. You do not. Uh, no Jeff Kent either. I, we don't have to belabor that point any more than you would prefer to, but was Pettit close for you? Um, 
I, I think about him. I, I, uh, I, I've said no to him now twice mm-hmm. and, uh, it wasn't a, uh, terribly close, uh, thought for me. You know, he did have the, the, uh, HGH admission. And so he gets, uh, that aspect and it's, uh, if it's zero tolerance, it should be zero tolerance. Um, and uh, I don't care what the explanation is mm-hmm. for it, but even with that, um, I, I thought he was—he uh, fell a little short for me. I, um, a durable workhorse, uh, postseason memories uh, and production, but um, uh, by the uh, war standards and by uh, anything else that I considered the past two years, I did I did think about him, but uh, but uh, for all those factors, he fell short. Yeah, I think I had him at Fangraphs War of sixty something, so he was pretty fringy for me. But um, you know, I knew that I would have at least ten players, so he was he was on my ballot. I have Manny Ramirez too. You do not. I think we can pretty easily connect the dots there. But is there anything you want to say about Manny, or should we just keep moving? No, no, that's, 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 that was too many. That one strikes too many. That was, uh, yeah, that was uh, a wonderful natural hitter. Just don't, I don't know that he needed it. Right. So Scott Rowland and Kurt Schilling, we both have, in fact, our entire last column is identical. Um, no Gary Sheffield for either of us, but we do have Rowland and Schilling. No Sammy Sosa for either of us. We both have Billy Wagner and Larry Walker. Let's unpack this just a little bit before we let you go. Scott Rowland, one of the best defensive third basemen of his time, great hitter. I'm just surprised. I feel like he was underrated in this process a little bit. Yes, he continues to be. Um, that's another one that uh, was not going to fill up notebooks, wasn't necessarily going to, and, and left Philadelphia in a uh, in a, in a I was traded after uh, contract squabbles and, and a lot of back and forth, but mm-hmm. it is nice to see that, uh, that his percentage is, is climbing. Um, and, uh, I, the total, the, the value he provided when he went to Cincinnati too, I think, uh, as well as St. Louis is, is, uh, is underrated because they weren't good then, but, um, he, uh, he could, he could do, many things and he did them for a long enough time that uh, he ended up with a war that was well beyond any cutoff and uh, mm-hmm. a walker like candidate i'd yep. say like um, that. in that there was value across the board just an excellent baseball player who did all the things that we can now measure in a more reliable way um than we could in previous generations did you agonize over shilling at all no, you know, uh, I see more people. Uh, where is he now with this percentage? He's sitting up there. It looks like he's got a shot. Uh, he's polling over 80. So the, the support continues to rise. Um, and uh, he has, uh, again, like Bonds and Clemens, a couple more chances. No, I I, um, I know that that uh, Kurt Schilling's kind of in a basket now in his social media um, behavior. I think he quit Twitter finally. Up, perhaps. Yeah, he's well. That was a good move. Um, Smart. Yeah. He. Uh, I, I don't. I think it needs to enter the uh, legal realm mm-hmm. for the character clause. Uh, yeah. Or investigative realm, or some, somewhere. I don't know that wild talk and un 
unacceptable or, or off-putting talk should keep you off the ballot. Um, just to throw out, if John Rocker had um, experienced uh, the type of production over his career that, say, uh, Billy Wagner did, yeah. I don't know that I would factor in Rocker's wild talk but then there were other reasons, right? To, he, I don't want to talk anymore about John Rocker with, mm-hmm. off the top of my head. But somebody yeah. like that who had wild talk that was, that was you know, where the person – yes, you, the character clause is, a, is wide enough to drive any sort of vehicle you want through it. Yeah. But um, I don't believe Kurt Schilling, I mean, has done anything more than lose a lot of money legally uh, in some bad investments and then say some things that people didn't like because the, you know, a lot of them were ugly things, but, mm-hmm. uh, but his actions to this point, uh, are not going to impede his production, getting him on my ballot. So Billy Wagner got the check for me, gets the check for you. For me, he's the most dominant left-handed reliever of all time. I know, obviously there've been some really great ones. Lee Smith comes immediately to mind, but Taylor Rogers, He's in that mix, and I'm I'm proud to say that I was wrong about that. <laughs> Holy smokes, was he good last year? But for me, I remember right when Taylor Rogers was still coming along as a uh, he was in Double A, I think. Um, he was in Double A. I remember sitting at my kitchen table in uh, Plymouth and uh, looking back at that, and then looking at his le- his dominance against lefties, mm-hmm. uh, and he was a starting prospect. And writing, uh, maybe they should bring. I think this might have been twenty. Uh, 20- 15, yep. maybe they should just rush him up there and let him be the, the, the lefty situational guy because uh, that was always there. But now he's, he's figured out some other things. Not saying he'll end up on a Hall of Fame ballot, but good for him. I just felt yeah. like talking about Taylor Rogers. He's a good kid. And then Larry Walker, yes. too. Obviously, groundswell of support the last few years. I think it's it's all the more kind of disappointing that guys like Kenny Lofton fall off the ballot in the first year when I think, you know, obviously different players, but definite caliber of Hall of Fame consideration, whereas Walker said to agonize over 10 years. I'm not sure what would be diffi- more difficult going 10 years, which Walker may. I know, I know he expect, skept, expressed skepticism at a recent hockey game he was at that he'd get in this year to a reporter. I think Nick Grokey of The Athletic was reporting that. But what would be tougher, do you think? And, I, and as we both agree that we voted Walker and as we wrap up here, one and done or 10 years and not making it but getting close? I think the one and done is worse because there's a that that fo- that stigma may follow you. you know, Lou Whitaker mm-hmm. seems to still follow him. I was disappointed he didn't get in along with Simmons or instead of this time um, with right. the Veterans Committee. But Lou Whitaker is uh, is one of the all time uh, whiffs by the uh, by our brethren, but uh, and sister, but. Um, Larry, I think I'd rather uh, stay on it all ten years because at least they're talking about you and right. they're considering you, and you 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 did clear at least one bar that many times. So when it's time to go in front of a smaller group, um, that seems like uh, a, fa- a factor in your favor. Um, so I think uh, I do think, uh, and of course Larry Walker's got he has to be publicly uh, uh, cautious. He can't be saying I'm in. Uh, because right. how does he know? Um, so I, I don't know how much you know, that tells me. It doesn't tell me anything, but uh, he's, he's going to be humble about it. But it, it would be very nice if he got in. I'll be disappointed if he's not in because that Larry Walker is one of the reasons that I had to do that strategic ballot in my mind a few years ago. Even Pedro and 
Randy Johnson off of Lewis, Larry Walker, and Alan Trammell were the ones on the out. They would have been the ones I would have had to leave off, and I just didn't want to do that. I wanted to keep them in the mix. Trammell ended up having to go to the Veterans Committee to mm-hmm. get in, uh, but let's hope Walker gets in this time. And, um, and of course, all the people you vote for, you'd like to see them in, and, and you just want the justice to be served. Uh, it's not a matter of... Uh, uh, personal politics or, or who was nicer to you or who yelled at you. It's uh, it's about what should happen and what the legacy deserves to be. So that that's why it's still a tremendous honor to be included. So speaking of the veterans committee, I think Terry Ryan, a man we mutually respect is on that. So it's, it's fun to see some of the names of yesteryear that vote on those. So let's recap your ballot just in case someone is checking in late in the exercise. Hopefully it's not, John Becker, hopefully he's listening to the whole thing, but we'll see about that. Bobby Abreu, Todd Helton, Derek Jeter, Andrew Jones, Scott Rowland, Kurt Schilling, Billy Wagner, and Larry Walker. And you will have your ballot published 14 days after the results are announced. You did check the yes on that too. So total nine check marks, eight players. That's a that's a pretty good ballot, Mike. I I don't think they counted up that way, but um, <laughs> that seems confusing. But uh, yeah. Leave it to you to think outside the box. That's what I do. So Or inside the box, as yeah. it were. Well, hopefully we hear again from you real soon. I'm sure you're kind of uh, pounding the pavement right now, finding your next I'd opportunity. I'd like a job, Brandon. If anybody at listening would like to hire me, um, I would like a job, a uh, full-time job. But for now, I'm freelancing. So if you have freelance needs, yeah, uh, you can uh, reach up. me on Twitter or um, M-M-B-E-R-M-O at AOL.com. And uh, and I will produce content for you. Yeah, it's good content. High level content. Yes, yes. we can we can attest I will to never that. Never embarrass you. There you go. I will only reflect glory upon your publication or outlet. So and thanks for having me. Yeah, you bet. At Mike Berdino on Twitter. So for Justin Bailey producing, this is Brandon Warren saying thank you for checking us out. Tune in next time for an all new edition of Midwest Swing, part of the Zone Coverage Podcast Network. Rock over London. Rock on Chicago. 